0: Well, good afternoon. It is a tremendous joy for my wife Meg and me to, to be with you all. We've been uh, very much watching and praying for you as you have launched this wonderful new church, and it's just a great privilege to, uh, to be here and to be a part of, of worship with you this weekend. Um, I want to publicly to uh, give thanks and praise to God for, uh, for your, your leaders. Um, Liz and Morgan and Amy, especially as lead team, but the whole team that I got to spend time with today—you're um, doing a wonderful, wonderful work. And Liz, I just want to especially say thank you to the Lord uh, for you, uh, for your courage and vision and sweet spirit and boundless uh, enthusiasm, um, despite whatever might be going on inside. <laughs> but you trust the Lord, and you've been walking in faith, and you've put together a wonderful team who also love the Lord and want to serve Him in this community, and you really are doing a fabulous job. So thank you so much for all that you do. Accomplish. <laughs> I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ around the, the, the wider church and churches in uh, the, our diocese, the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic, and from our Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America. He sends his His love and greetings to you all. Well, my parents went through World War II. They experienced all the shortages and deprivations of wartime and it affected them deeply and it affected my brother and me as well because whenever we left a light on using precious electricity or left a door open and let the cold air in, my parents would yell, Don't you know there's a war on? (laughs) Well, the Bible makes clear there's a war on. And Jesus came not just to tell us about it, but to fight it and to win it. We're in a spiritual battle. The enemy is the devil and his demonic forces. The enemy is not human beings no matter how much people annoy us or hurt us, the real enemy is in the spiritual realm. The great Anglican writer C.S. Lewis said that every inch of this planet and every person on it has been claimed by Satan and counterclaimed by God, meaning there is no neutral territory. To become a Christian is to renounce Satan and everything to do with him and to side with Jesus in the battle. And this spiritual warfare is consistently portrayed in Scripture. The kingdom of God over and against the kingdom of Satan. Satan's there at the beginning, tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and Satan is there at the end, being thrown into the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. Every New Testament author deals directly with Satan's demonic forces. And in our Gospel reading Tonight, Jesus describes his ministry as binding the strong man, as he calls Satan, tying him up. 1 John chapter 3 probably summarizes it best in words we prayed at the beginning of the service when it says that the whole reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, the decisive battle in this uh, spiritual war was at the cross. The Bible says that it was in dying for us on the cross that Jesus triumphed over the spiritual forces of darkness. And theologians have likened that decisive victory to D Day in World War II. On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces of Britain and the United States and Canada came across the English Channel and landed on the beaches of Normandy, France to um, take back France and Europe from the occupying Nazi forces. My dad hit the beach two days later. Military historians say that when the Allies established that beachhead, the outcome of World War II was decided. But there was still a lot of fighting ahead. In fact, for most countries, more soldiers died in the last year of the war than in all the previous years. On the cross, Jesus won the decisive victory over Satan, but there are still a lot of casualties in the battle. There's a spiritual war going on, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. And we are involved in this war whether we want to be or not. Now, you've been in a series of sermons on the Gospel of Mark, and I've been listening to them online along with you, and they've been great, haven't they? I think they've really been wonderful. You're only up to chapter 3, but even in these opening chapters, it is clear that there's a spiritual war on. Amy, in particular, spoke about this in her wonderful seri- her sermon a few weeks back. But you've already seen Jesus attacked in the wilderness by Satan through his temptations, Jesus encountering a man with an evil spirit, a spirit which shakes the man violently when Jesus orders it to come out, Jesus healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and then healing many who were sick, or, and he drives out many demons. He goes over all over Galilee, preaching the gospel, casting out demons. He heals a leper, a paralytic, and a man with a shriveled hand. And when evil spirits see Jesus, they fall down and cry out. Satan and his demonic forces are mentioned 17 times in just the first three chapters of Mark's Gospel. This is spiritual warfare. The battle is on. The kingdom of God is advancing. Now, Jesus made clear that he came to bind Satan and plunder his house. He's come to take away from Satan... Satan's most valuable possessions, namely people. The Bible says again and again that apart from Christ, people are under the power of Satan. People are lost in the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus has come to overpower Satan, uh, to bind him and limit his power, and to set his captives free. Well, that sounds great. But if Satan has been bound by Jesus, why do we see Satan doing so much harm in this world? Why do we see Satan wreaking such havoc, causing so much pain, having so much influence in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Well, Satan has indeed been bound, but he's been bound like on a long rope. There are limits to what he can do, limits to how far he can go, Uh, but get within his territory and you're in real danger. Megan, and I and our then young sons were invited some years ago to Uruguay by the bishop there. I was invited to do some teaching at their seminary and we were excited to have a chance to go kind of on a family mission trip. I don't speak Spanish. Um, Meg had a little bit of Spanish in school, but that was just not the language that we we learned. And so in preparation for this trip, we went to Northern Virginia Community College and took six weeks of Spanish for tourists, which did very little for us. (laughs) But we were trying to be able to at least exchange greetings and that sort of thing. Well, one night uh, after teaching in the seminary, I was asked, to go and preach at a church in a very poor area for their Sunday uh, late afternoon evening service. And so I went, was delighted to do that. Of course, there was a translator. And after the service, we were standing outside uh, in the gathering gloom as the evening came and there was no electricity anywhere, and so it was getting darker and darker. There were some boys playing soccer. Well, that was my sport, so I was enjoying it, so I went over and was playing with them as it gets darker and darker, and pretty much now it's complete total black. The ball comes, and I didn't see it, and it got by me in the dark, and so I turn, and I start to trot off into the black to find the ball, and as I'm Going off to get the ball, I hear this voice behind me, Perro Malo. Well, I had to sort of go to my rudimentary English, Spanish, Spanish, English dictionary as I'm sort of trotting off into the darkness. And finally, what I realized they were saying was, Evil dog. <laughs> and as I, my mind processed this, as I'm going along, I stopped. And just as I stopped, out of the darkness came this wolf come up with jaws open, lunging at me, jumped up and got here, and the chain held, and he dropped to the ground. And I think that's really a picture that Scripture gives us about Satan. He is limited, he is bound, but he still has, a, has territory, he has influence. And get into his territory, and we can find ourselves... Subject to great harm. Jesus said at the Last Supper in John chapter 14, the prince of this world is coming, a reference to Satan, but he has no hold on me. Well, Jesus was without sin, and so Satan had no hold on him. When we sin, we give Satan a measure of influence over us, hold over us until we repent and experience God's forgiveness. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Parenthetically, that's the basis for advice to married couples don't go to sleep angry with each other. But what Paul is saying more broadly is that when we sin, we're straying into Satan's territory within that long rope, and we're giving Satan a measure of control over us. Our sin gives Satan some legal right to attack us, but that control, that foothold, that little hook in us that he plants is removed when we repent and receive Jesus's forgiveness. Now, I was sent to the sort of seminary that only mentioned Satan and demons in order to ridicule the very idea. So when I came into life and ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, well, let's just say I had a lot to learn. In my early years of serving the church in Dale City, where I was for many years, I was preparing to teach a course on alternative religious movements and various kinds of religious groups and cults, and I like to do research out of original source documents, and so I asked the the members of the church if they had any source materials, this was long before easy internet access, um, materials that I might use in, in research, and I collected quite a stack of books on New Age movements and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and all kinds of groups. And took this big collection of books off on vacation and started to work my way through the books. While I was reading in the stack of books from members of the church, I came across what realistically was a high-level occult handbook that told you how to use occult power to do really evil things to people. Well, I was rather horrified by the idea that a member of our church had this book. (laughs) And so when I got back, I went to the woman who lent it to me, a woman named Sherry, and I told her that I'd like to talk to her about her book, and she said that was fine. So we got together, and I read her a number of passages at scripture, from Scripture that made it very clear that from a biblical point of view, from God's point of view, having a book like this or using a book like this would put you in real spiritual jeopardy. This was a really bad thing to do. At which point she said, well, it's not my book, it's my mother's book, and I'm going, oh yeah, okay. Uh, But then she said, when you were reading those passages, there was one thing in there that I have been very much involved in. And I said, what was that? And she said, astrology. And she said, not just sort of reading horoscope in the newspaper, but I've been very much involved in the practice of this. casting horoscopes for people and asking for spiritual help to do this and all this kind of business. And I said, oh. And she said, "Um, when I was pregnant, uh, she had a three-year-old son. When I was pregnant, I cast the horoscope for my son in anticipation of his date of birth, his due date. And when I did that, it said that children born under this conjunction or whatever the term was often grow up after the death of one parent and she said when I read those words they settled on me like a curse and I have never been able to get free of them her husband was a police officer and she said every time he went out the door on duty I thought of those words every time he was on duty and the phone rang I thought of those words Every time he was late coming home, I thought of those words. I have never been able to get free of those words. Now, I knew that Jesus could deal with that, and I also knew that I had absolutely no idea how to be a part of that. Nothing in my training had prepared me for a moment like this. But I figured, well, we were pretty much through our conversation, and I thought maybe we could have one of those closing prayers. Thank you, Jesus, for this little chat kind of prayers. And I just sort of sneak something in. And so I prayed, thank you, Jesus, for this little chat. And then I said, and in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this curse and break its power in Jesus' name. And I tried to sound like the prayer book, you know, who lives and reigns with you. And well, I wasn't even finished with the prayer. And Sherry sat bolt upright and said, what did you do? I felt like a very little lady, don't worry, don't be offended. And I said, what do you mean? She said, when you prayed that, something left me. I said, well, yeah, I knew that would happen. (laughs) No, not at all. I said, what? And she said that when I prayed that prayer, she just knew that something from the enemy left her. Well, the following Sunday, things really got interesting. She and her husband and three-year-old son had been attending our early service every Sunday faithfully for years. Very faithful, active members of the church. After the service, she came to the coffee hour, and she got in my face, and she was hot. Why haven't you done that before, she said to me. What are you talking about, Sherry? Why haven't you done this before? I said, Sherry, what what, what are you talking about? Why? Why have you done this today for the first time? And I said, "Sure. What are you talking about? What you preached, talking about Jesus. Why have you not done this before?" And finally, the penny dropped. The scripture says, "Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers." And because of the demonic oppression she was under, she was literally convinced that never before had the gospel of Jesus been preached in that church. But God opened her spiritual ears to hear what in fact had been going on all along that she had been closed from. And she in fact went on to the most extraordinary, rich, and wonderful ministry of healing and deliverance of others. Uh, an extraordinary woman with extraordinary uh, passion to see others set free as Jesus had set her free. Satan's kingdom is real and being involved in spiritual practices that not, are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ can get us into real difficulties. I grew up in a Christian home um, but I really wasn't discipled. I wasn't taught the scriptures, and I, I didn't really understand many of the things of, of God. I was in a church where I didn't really see lives being changed. We weren't really taught about the life, in the life in the Spirit, and I was hungry for more. But not finding it in the church, I went, as we would say, using from the Phrase of the old country music song, looking for love in all the wrong places, spiritually speaking. Because instead of seeking more of God in the church, I went looking, not in rebellion against Jesus, but just because I was hungry, looking for God in things like the New Age movement and spiritual practices like astrology and numerology and mind sciences and all the rest. I wasn't consciously trying to turn away from Jesus but I was hungry for supernatural reality. In college, I took transcendental meditation training, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. That's the practice where you repeat a mantra over and over again. They didn't tell me that, that I, again, wasn't rebelling against God because I didn't understand it. I didn't realize that I was calling on the name of a, of a, of a god who is a demon. And just parenthetically, I'll tell you, inviting a demon into your life over and over and over and over and over again is not a good thing to do. Don't do that. I didn't understand what I was doing. But God sets us free. When we turn away from the things of Satan's kingdom and ask for the Lord's forgiveness, he sets us free. And let me encourage you that if you've been involved in in any spiritual practices that are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that you go to the prayer teams or to your your leaders and pray with them, ask the Lord's forgiveness, and renounce those practices and let the Lord set you free. We understand about forgiveness, it's not enough to simply not do something anymore. We need to be forgiven and, and set free. Our God is a powerful God, and Jesus comes to to proclaim the kingdom of God and demonstrate that kingdom in our very lives. He is such a good and faithful (coughs) Savior, and he wants to work in each one of us for his glory and for the spread of his kingdom. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have told us through your Son, Jesus, that you have come to set the captives free, and you desire for us to know the fullness of that freedom that we might serve in your kingdom, a kingdom which is beautiful and powerful and true. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.